and Tyler are away this weekend, so the varsity and junior varsity are out, and you're getting the C team today. <laughs> um, that being said, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity. Father, you know my heart. You know my abilities. You know what uh, I've written down here, and I pray that you would just make your Holy Spirit flow through me that the words that I would say, if they need to even be changed, that they would reach people's ears, that you would be glorified, and that we would draw closer and closer to you. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we are in a series called Breaking Free. I think we've been in it since somewhere around Easter. But we all want freedom from things that hold us back from the life that God really wants for us to have. We want Jesus Christ to be able to break us free from different bondages. So that's what this entire series has been about. It is very, very good. Um, Tyler and Tom have a lot of good messages. If you've missed any of them, I would say go back and listen to them on the podcast. Um, You can find those at www.gunnisonbethany.com. Make sure you get the Gunnison Bethany in there. Oh, Children's Church, thank you very much. <laughs> I have it written here in bold, and I just... <laughs> oh, I have fun with this. So, in our elder meeting a few weeks ago, after Tom and Tyler both said they were going to be out this weekend, they were looking for volunteers. Well, Josh volunteered first and then found out he couldn't do it because he had other commitments, so he goes, you're up. And then they said the disclosure, or they disclosed the topic as freedom from materialism. Josh goes, oh great, we've got the CPA talking about money. (laughs) (laughs) I know he was was just giving me a hard time, but I thought, oh great, now I have to talk about money. (laughs) So anyway, with that in mind, I did happen to write a simple little poem. It's not very good, so bear with me. The congregation was quiet and hushed. The CPA was not to be rushed. The topic of his sermon that morning, freedom from materialism, he was warning. He talked about budgets and tithes and condemned their greedy little lives. (laughs) Then as he came to his final summation, he smiled with this declaration. The antidote, he said, was a lurch. Give all your money to the church. (laughs) So, (laughs) every once in a while I come up with a poem, and uh, like I said, it's not good, but anyway, what, uh, so many times in life that just seems to be what these topics, when they're preached on, is just give your money, give your money, give your money. I'm going to try a little bit different approach to that. So, Let's see where this goes. But materialism is kind of one of those words that is a thought word. It's kind of difficult to understand. It's a concept word, not something you can feel or touch. Materialism, if you look in a dictionary, would be defined as a preoccupation or emphasis on material objects, comforts, or considerations with a disinterest or a rejection 
of spiritual, intellectual, or cultural value. Now that's a mouthful. I don't think many of us are flat out rejecting spiritual values. And you, I wouldn't say any of us are 100% materialist. But I do know that we do struggle with it. I struggle with it. Materialism is one of those concepts that includes a lot of judgment. We know it but we, when we see it, but we understand it only in our own mind. So with that in mind, I kind of want to define materialism today as putting any money, possession, accomplishment, or pleasure before God. Now, this is my struggle. Um, I don't really have a rejection of God. In fact, I try to pursue him as much as possible. But the world, and I'll get to this a little bit better, a little bit more, the world kind of puts a lot of pressure on us to um, find um, through these things our meaning and purpose in life. I think Jesus would call it the cares of this world. Now, as I talk today, I'll interchange the word materialism with money when I'm sharing passages for the, from the Bible, and mostly for two reasons. And first, the, for the most of us, the accumulation of money is not the end goal. The goal is to accumulate in order to have the money, or to use money to acquire things of pleasure in an attempt to make our lives better. And second, the accumulation of material things, activities, or pleasure can only be done using money for the most part. So, for example, in Ecclesiastes 5.10, it reads, he who loves money shall never have enough, which I think that can be easily understand, understood to mean that anyone who loves material things can never have enough. We, have a doll, we all have a tendency, myself included, to think that accumulating more and more will fulfill my desires and therefore my needs. It might be money, a new job, a promotion, a bigger house, or, in my case, a Mustang convertible. <laughs> and I'm reminded of a refrain from a song by Tom T. Hall, and this is country western music, good thing Tom isn't here. <laughs> but it basically says, faster horses, younger women, older whiskey, and more money. <laughs> and so one truth about trying to satisfy our desires by accumulation comes from Proverbs 27.20 basically says human desires are like the world of the dead. There's always room for more. So how many of us live in that world? More, more, more. The question then is what do we do? Or why do we do this? I think that we have a tendency to accept solutions that our, cult that our culture or the world gives us. And so I've listed just a few of the lies that I think we believe. The first one is having more things will make me happier. If I can have this new car, my life will be happier. If I can go on this vacation, my life will be happier. How many of us believe this? King Solomon, who probably had more money in his time than Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, had this to say in Ecclesiastes 5, 10, and 11. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, 
nor he who loves abundance with income. This too is vanity. He's basically saying this is foolishness to try to find your meaning and purpose in life by money or things. Here's a statement that indicates, that illustrates this point. When I was younger, I dreamed that one day I would make as much money as I can barely survive on today. I'll just let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> a second lie that we, that we um, often believe is having more things will make me more important. The question is, do we buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like? <laughs> and Jesus tells us this in Luke twelve fifteen: Be on your guard against greed in any shape or form. For man's real life in no way depends on the number of his possessions. Well, that's kind of a dead end then. Our lives do not depend, or the, the substance of our lives is not based on what we possess. And I did notice that Jesus says here, be on guard, and that would indicate that we need to continually evaluate the motives behind what we purchase or what we do. A third point is having more things will make me more secure. I hear this one a lot. If I can only achieve financial independence, then I would have security in life. How about Proverbs eleven eighteen? The rich man thinks his wealth thinks of his wealth as an impregnable defense, a high wall of safety. And in the living, or living Bible version, it says, what a dreamer. <laughs> Another proverb, be wise enough not to wear yourself out trying to get rich. Your money can be gone in a flash. I just have to say I know this from personal experience. When I moved up here, I probably had about $2 million or something like that. In a matter of a few years, I was declaring bankruptcy. So what you have, what you place your security in, can be gone like that. A downturn in the stock market, an unfortunate lawsuit, theft by an employee, unforeseen medical issue can all drain your bank account faster than you can imagine. We're never truly immune from financial loss. As a CPA, I do know this. I've seen it happen a lot of times. How many ways can you lose it all? Well, the possibilities are infinite. Happiness, importance, security are not bad things, but the problem is where do we find them or how do we find them? What is the way to freedom from materialism? How do we find true meaning and purpose in this life? I'd like to read from Job 31, and it tells us, Job tells us, if I put my trust in money, if my happiness depends on wealth, it would mean that I have denied the God of heaven. And further, Jesus tells us, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So it comes down to look like we have a choice to make. Follow the world and trust in money or in wealth or things. Or trust in God. In Timothy uh, 6, 9 through 10, 
says, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And I alluded earlier that I have lived this, and it's, I would say I have lived this. I had a position as a vice president controller of a publicly traded company. I had a truckload of money in the bank. I had everything going my way. My trust was in the world, not in Jesus Christ. I recently read a book by Terry Wardell, and it's entitled Identity Matters. And there's a passage in there that I think an image that he gives us can kind of help us with this a little bit more. In his book, he's talking about two tables. One table set by the world and one table set by the Lord. The table set by the world, and this is the one that I bought into, sets before us promises of happiness, importance, and security. But you just can't show up to this table. You have to strive to get a seat at this table. You've got to have more money, the right job, a prettier face, a chiseled physique, an important job, and on and on. Finally, once you've attained one or several of these, you think you've got the seat at the table. And you probably do for a little while. But, oops, it's not permanent. You still must perform. You must please others. You must achieve. You must accumulate to maintain your place at the table. Because there's always someone hungrier than you willing to take your spot. At this table, your place is earned. This is a table of transactions. You give your life in performance, and the world gives you the temporary seat at this table. Relationships are important only so far as they help you keep or earn your seat at the table. The hidden costs, however, include anxiety. It's just a short list. Anxiety, anger. Disappointment, depression, and ultimately desolation. It's empty. If you share any of these struggles with anyone else, the answer the world gives you is just try harder. You need to perform more. That's why they call it a rat race. And in contrast, the table that the Lord sets before you is lavish in love and mercy. It is overflowing with happiness, importance, and security. We can't earn a spot here because it's not based on our performance or our achievements. It's free to those of us who are adopted children of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. It costs us nothing. It did, however, cost Jesus Christ everything. He paid the bill at this table and he left the tip too. And I think 
this is closer to our struggle. Very few of us are purely materialistic. We, we fight between this world. I know because I still struggle with it. I know that the table that God has before me is lavish, and the love is there, the grace, the mercy is there. But I still have my foot in the world, and I still struggle with that. So I kind of want to run through a few of the benefits that we get when we choose the Lord's table. First is we get abundance. Jesus says in John 10.10, and I'm paraphrasing here, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The second thing is we get contentment. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing into this world and when we came when we came to this world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. The contentment is not natural for us, so we have to learn it. Every day, we should thank God for what he has blessed us with and ask him to change the desires of our heart. G.K. Chesterton said there are two ways to get enough, buy more or desire less. The third, one of the third things we get is permanence. And again in Timothy 6, 17 through 19, tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should give happily to those in need, being always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. In the United States, we're all very wealthy compared to the rest of the world. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And it's because God has blessed us tremendously. And this idea kind of struck me the other day when we were listening to Kathy, um, the missionary that was here a while ago. She was talking about the poor lives that they have in China versus the wealth that we have in the United States. But I think in some ways we might be poorer than we really know or understand. And I get this because I was reading a passage not too long ago in Revelation, and Jesus is talking to the church in Laodicea. And I really, it really struck me that he was kind of talking to the church in the United States, too. And I don't want this to be a scolding or anything like that. I just want it to, as I pray, God open people's eyes if this is us. And Jesus says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness, an ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door. I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. 
I really think that Jesus is telling those of us who are believers that we should use the material wealth that he's blessed us with to invest in his kingdom work. I think that's what he's saying by buy gold that he's going to find the fire. This is investing in the true, true heavenly, per permanent heavenly treasure. There's one other thing I noticed about this statement. And he says, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And that just brought again the image to my mind of the table of the Lord set before us. So what I've tried to do here a little bit is outline the negatives of choosing to sit at the table the world sets before us. And the positives of choosing the table that God sets before us. And when I say it like that, it seems like it's just a simple little choice. And if it were only that easy. I think most of us, truly in our hearts, want to sit at God's table, but the reality is we seem to be powerless about this. We seem to be powerless to consistently choose it. We're bombarded constantly by messages in this world, advertisements, whatever, advice, books, that tells us the message of the world to perform, perform, perform. And if I were only talking about choosing contentment or choosing this without defining it or going a little further. Um, well, here's what I have to say. Choosing to budget our time or money better so we can invest in the kingdom of heaven. Then I might only be dressing up the world's table with religious jargon. And remember I said God's table is not one where we can perform to gain a seat there. It's free to us. The message would be the same as the world, only in religious jargon. Perform better and God will give you a place at his table. And that's not what I want to leave you with. The real choice, or the first choice, is to choose a person, Jesus Christ. Remember I said earlier, Jesus paid it all. That's what the song said. Thank you very much. It just worked. Amazing how God works. I didn't know that was coming up. But Jesus paid it all so that you can attend God's table of happiness, importance, and security. Love, grace, peace. As an adopted child of God. We are choosing a relationship and from that relationship, all the other benefits that I talked about, abundance, contentment, performance, flows from God. So I would like to close with a prayer. And then we'll have the worship team come back up. Father God, we are overwhelmed by this world. We want significance, we want importance, we want security. And the world tells us that they have the answer. But it's empty and desolate. desolate. Jesus, we believe that you really did truly pay it all. That you've invited us to this table, that you want us there. And Jesus, we need the power and the strength 
to choose you every day. To choose to listen to you, to choose a relationship with you, so that all of the benefits that you have flow through us. It's not an easy choice, and I know it isn't. And we just ask that you would help us and give us the strength. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.